Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Thank you for that song that when trials come, remind us of what Jesus promised to us here as we talk about our last beatitude on persecution. Thank you, worship team. As you're turning there, let me make two brief announcements. One is some of you are really serious about church growth to the point where you're having way too many children. So what we've had to do, what you forced us into doing is creating an additional nursery room. So for all of the children that the Lord is blessing our church with, we're very thankful. And because of that, we are going to need more volunteers each Sunday. So if you love holding babies, working with our very small children, please consider volunteering for that once a quarter, once every six months. Dee Petcher's downstairs in the nursery. There's a sign up there uh, that you can uh, put your name on to help uh, serve in the nursery. So please pray and consider that. Also want to make mention that the Lord has answered a prayer. We've been praying for some months here at Cornerstone by providing someone to come and to work with our youth. So we want to welcome Mike King. Mike, can I get you to stand up, please? Embarrass you here for just a minute. Mike King, thank you for being here. So, Mike is coming to us all the way from Clanton, Alabama, and he is going to be working with our students and with our student ministry volunteer team, and so we're thankful you're here, Mike. Mike reported to me that he eats dinner every single night, so if you'd like to have him in your home, please uh, have Mike over so he can get to know you and your family. Let's now look in God's Word at Matthew chapter 10. Sorry, Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. In verse 10, we are looking at the eighth beatitude, our last beatitude in this series on the beatitudes. Jesus taught his disciples from the mountainside. And this is what he says is his last beatitude to them. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is God's holy, inerrant, authoritative word to us this morning. May he add his blessings to it. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, would you now teach us, would you now instruct our hearts, would you help us to see the truth that is contained here in the words of our Lord Jesus Christ? Change us, we pray in his name, amen. Perhaps a little known fact about C.S. Lewis's great work, The Chronicles of Narnia, is that they were written in the backdrop of World War II. When Lewis wrote his first in the series, the first book he actually penned in the series, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, he was actually inspired by a real-life event which took place uh, in his life when children from London were being evacuated to the countryside During the war, and they were temporarily housed at some, four children were temporarily housed at Lewis's home. 
As he got to know them and spend time with them, he was surprised to find out how few imaginative stories that they actually knew. He discovered they had very little imagination. So he decided to write a story for them. So he scribbled down on a piece of paper about four young children who go to live in the countryside to get away from the air raids in London and to go and live with a very old professor in the country. For those of you who are familiar with the books, and perhaps you've even seen the movie, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, you may recall a very disturbing scene that begins the movie that sets the backdrop for the movie. As the children are hiding in bomb shelters, as bombs are raining down overhead in London, And what the government decided to do to protect these families and protect these children is to send them off into the countryside to get away from the effects of war. This was a very disturbing scene. And my children, after they watched it with me, they began to ask and they began to think and they began to ponder, Dad, is is that going to happen to us too? Are we one day going to have to go and live somewhere different because bombs are raining down? It disturbed them. The backdrop of war, a war-torn country, is a very harsh, a very difficult situation to live in, and it was the harsh, it was the difficult situation that many Westerners lived in during the Great Wars. But today it's not a reality that most of us have to deal with, because large-scale wars and attacks and bombings and all those type things, those take place over there. Those are away from us. We don't have to deal with that. But as Christians, as followers of Christ, we must see that, in fact, we do live in the backdrop of a war. But it is a spiritual war. Followers of Christ will be persecuted. They will have to live in the midst of hostility. They will have to deal with the reality that there is hostility against them because they are followers of Christ. And Jesus wants his followers to know that. So we now come to the last beatitude taught by our Lord. And this is the last thing that we expect Jesus to tell us as he's wrapping up these beatitudes. Because if you and I were going to give eight principles for the Christian life, if we were going to give eight pieces of wisdom to instruct people on how to live the Christian life, we wouldn't list any of these attributes, any of these beatitudes that Jesus lists. lists. And we certainly would not list this last principle that Jesus tells us, that he teaches his disciples. Blessed are those, happy are those. Favored are those who are persecuted. It's not what we would say. When we talk about mistreatment, when we hear about abuse, when we think of the terrible tragedies that are occurring in other parts of the world to to, to Christians, those are not the things that we would describe as blessings. They are not the things that we would describe to make us happy because persecution is is not happy. It's not joyful. It's actually not right. 
Jesus knew the, the type of reaction that he would get when he taught this beatitude. He didn't just walk away and say, blessed the persecuted, thank you very much, I'll see you tomorrow. He actually takes the time to explain and to elaborate what he means in verses 11 and 12. So verses 11 and 12 are not a new beatitude, they are simply an explanation, further exposition on what he taught in verse 10, and so we will look at that. But we've been talking about how these eight Beatitudes, they're connected. They're all joined together. They form a whole that teaches us the totality of the Christian life and what it means to live in God's kingdom. How to be poor in spirit, to, to mourn over our sin. It should produce meekness in our lives. And therefore, there is a Holy Spirit-induced hunger and thirst for righteousness, which results in a desire to be merciful and peaceable and pure in heart. And we do all these things. If we, if we live in God's kingdom in this way, Jesus does not say, you will be awesome and everything will be awesome in every way. No, Jesus says, you will be persecuted if you live this way. You will live a life of great difficulty and hardship. Because as he says in John 15, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. So let's look at what Jesus means here in this beatitude. Let's explore this beatitude in three, three points. The reason for persecution, the types of persecution, and the joy of persecution. The reason for persecution, the types of persecution, and the joy of persecution. First, the reason for persecution. Why did Jesus teach that persecution would be a blessing to his disciples. Why would his disciples even be persecuted in the first place? These are the type of questions that we're faced with as we come to this final beatitude and this teaching on persecution. We do, in fact, live in a day and age where being a victim, victimization, is at the heart of every political, social, and even spiritual discussion. And as the world would tell you that to be a victim is, in fact, a very enviable position to be in, in the world's eyes. So when Jesus says, blessed are the persecuted, we tend to stop right there at his beatitude. We put a period after persecuted, and we look no further at his teaching. We have heard this beatitude misquoted and misused ad nauseum. If someone were to dare disagree with you, if someone were to have a different opinion or a different theological position or social idea or political idea than you, then, well, then one way that you can combat them, one, day, one way that you could deconstruct their argument is to invoke the name of Jesus and say, well, Jesus said we would be persecuted for ideas. Blessed are those who are persecuted. But brothers and sisters, if we approach the Bible's teaching on persecution this way, then when we are, we are being unfaithful and untruthful to the teaching of Scripture. Jesus does not say, blessed are those who are persecuted. 
Look at it again, please. Look in your Bibles at verse 10. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Persecuted for righteousness' sake. It is very important that we catch the distinction made by the very words here of Jesus. He does not say, blessed are those who are picked on. He does not say, blessed are those who are wrongly accused. He does not say, blessed are those who are physically harmed. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Or later in the verses, he says, blessed are those who are persecuted on account of him. We have already spent some time studying and defining righteousness when we looked at the fourth beatitude. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are those who hunger to be right with God. Those who hunger to pursue holiness. So when Jesus states that we will be persecuted for righteousness, he is saying the same thing that that he also reiterates in verse 11. Blessed are those who are persecuted on account of him. Blessed are those who are persecuted for Christ. Those who are persecuted for righteousness sake are those who are persecuted because they're, they're striving to live like Christ. They are pursuing and emulating Christ's righteousness, and therefore they are persecuted. So what is the takeaway here? What's the promise? What's the blessing? Do you want to be like Christ? Do you want to live a life of holiness and righteousness by following the Savior as his disciple? Then expect to be persecuted. Hold your place there in Matthew 5 and turn to John 15, just a few gospels over. John 15, verse 18. Jesus prepares us for this reality of being persecuted. In John 15, verses 18 through 20, he says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. The reason for persecution is because the sovereign son of God told us that following him would be hard. It would be difficult. Following the Lord Jesus Christ will result in persecution. And so we must see here from the teaching of Scripture, from the teaching of our Lord Jesus on this beatitude, that persecution is a mark of being a true follower of Jesus Christ. And this may come as a surprise to us. John Stott here helps us make the connection. Since all the Beatitudes describe what every Christian disciple is intended to be, 
we conclude that the condition of being despised and rejected, slandered and persecuted is as much a normal mark of Christian discipleship as being pure in heart or merciful. Being persecuted is the mark of a Christian. So let's look secondly at the types of persecution. We've looked at the reason of persecution. Let's look at the types of persecution. We really haven't defined persecution yet. So what is it? How would we define persecution? Persecution is hostility or ill treatment, especially because of your race or your political or religious beliefs. Persecution is being actively pursued for the purpose of malignity, being evil, being put against you, caused against you. A very real-life example of persecution in a very grotesque way can be seen now simply by flipping on the news and seeing what a terrorist organization called ISIS is doing in the Middle East. You know it's a big deal when our news outlets actually start reporting on Christians being killed for being Christians. That is the persecution to the extreme that Jesus here warns us about. Jesus says very specifically and very intently, as we read in John 15, that those who follow him will be persecuted. They will be beaten. They will be lied about. They will be slandered. Because if they did it to him, they will do it to us. How will we be persecuted? Jesus says we'll be reviled. The Greek word here means to rep- reproach, to means to be insulted with insulting language. To be reviled is to be insulted for the way you live for Jesus Christ. What is Jesus getting at here? Jesus is saying, you want to live in my kingdom? Do you want to be my disciple? Then you need to be prepared to be insulted, to be reviled. What is this, this, really this is a small scale type persecution, but it's persecution nonetheless. What does it mean? It means if you're a parent and you want to raise your kids to know and to love the Lord and you believe that God has instructed you to to discipline them, to maybe even spank them, to instruct them in righteousness and to correct them, then if you are doing this in the world's eyes, And you're wrong. You shouldn't do that. You will be persecuted for that. Perhaps it's your priorities. Perhaps it's the way you live your life. You're you're getting out of bed at what time on Sunday morning to do what? You're actually giving your money to that? Why? Why would you organize your priorities around things like that? What's in it for you? To be reviled will mean to have every single one of your commitments to Christ questioned by the world. We should expect it. You should expect to be weird for your beliefs, for your commitment to Christ in this world. You will also be slandered. Jesus says you will have all kinds of evil spoken against you because of your commitment to Christ. 
People will lie about you because of your commitment to Christ. Folks will look for a way. Christians will be, will be watched at every waking moment to just wait for them to slip up so that you can be slandered. They will even lie about your character if you're following Christ. A, a major headline this week that I've probably gotten 50 emails and 50 texts about is this week in Houston, the, the mayor and the mayor's administration decided to subpoena pastors' sermons and their emails and communications with their congregation because they didn't like what was being said. Now, there's much more to the, to the story here, but this is very dangerous, the actions of this mayor and of that administration. Because where does that ultimately lead? If we can't say what we want from God's word here from the pulpit, then where will that lead? Because those pastors, frankly, I've heard many of them give testimonies. They are gospel-believing, Bible-believing ministers of God's word, and they're teaching God's word. And they're being slandered. And we should pray for them. You'll be ridiculed. You will be made fun of. At what point are our conservative values that, and biblical values that we believe te- Scripture teaches on marriage, on the economy, or any other n- number of things, at what point are we going to be jailed for our views, for our intolerance on these matters? What if one day your child came to you and said, Mom, Dad, I I got expelled from school today. What did you do? Well, I saw a kid doing something he shouldn't, and I I told him he was dishonoring the Lord Jesus Christ, and he ought not to do that. And what if your child got expelled because you simply called someone, they called someone to an account for their actions in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Is that day that far off? A Christian's going to be ridiculed for something like that? You'll be hated. You'll be hated if you're a follower of Christ. What is more, you will, you will be hated so much that you will actually be accused of being hateful. <laughs> How about that? Think about this. Think about the way the media portrays the church and Christians' view of homosexuality. As a Bible-believing church, we believe that marriage is between one man and one woman, and that homosexual marriage, gay marriage, should not be allowed according to the teachings of Scripture. That's what we believe. But we do not hate gay people. We do not hate homosexuals. And that's the inference the world and the media will make. That because we disagree with their position on marriage, therefore we hate them. Brothers and sisters, let's change that. Let's let's love to the point where they will have nothing to say about us because of our love for all people made in God's image. If you follow Christ, you'll be persecuted, maybe even to the point 
of being killed. Jesus said, so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Most of those prophets that Jesus was referring to were killed because of their commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you realize that the gospel is so offensive to some that there are those who will be so consumed with evil that they will actually want to kill you for it? Just this week, again, just a casual perusing of the news. There was a woman being jailed in Pakistan for being a Christian. So some Islamic women were telling her that she was making the public water supply unclean because she was a Christian and she should stop drinking it. And she said, no, I will not. And no, I'm not making it unclean. I'm a follower of Christ. And I wish you would too. And so she was charged with blasphemy for maligning the name of Muhammad, and therefore she is under the conviction of death for her commitment to Christ. Christians around the world, should ex- we should expect persecution of some type. If you're not or have never experienced some type of persecution, then we must ask ourselves an honest question. Am I a committed disciple? Am I following Jesus so hard and so faithfully that people are actually mad at me about it? Am I offending someone because of my commitment to the gospel? Jesus said we should expect persecution. But last, Jesus says something extremely unexpected. We should expect joy. In persecution. Jesus did not come to bring a bunch of fluff, did he? Blessed are the beatitude, blessed are the persecuted is not your best life now theology. He came for our hearts. He came to pursue our hearts, hearts that are sold out for him, lives that are lived for him, and lives that are lived for him, and hearts that are sold out for him will experience some type of persecution. The promise of this beatitude, though, takes us right back to where we started. We began the Sermon on the Mount with a discussion on the the context for which the Sermon on the Mount was given, and that is the kingdom of God. We have made the case that this whole sermon, all of Jesus' teaching here, is about kingdom living, how we are to be as Christians in God's kingdom So naturally, Jesus would conclude these beatitudes with a similar instruction. He said that to be poor in spirit and to possess the kingdom of heaven is also a promise attached to Jesus' teaching on persecution. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those who suffer for Christ will have unparalleled joy. Those who suffer for the Lord Jesus Christ will have unparalleled joy in heaven. How could we possibly rejoice at persecution? Jesus explains. Because we get heaven. We get heaven. In heaven, 
there will be no persecution. And further, we get real rewards in heaven, Jesus teaches in verse 12. I don't know exactly what these real rewards in heaven look like, but I know that I want them (laughs) because Jesus promised them. John Stott says, we may lose everything on earth, but we shall inherit everything in heaven. Your life may be falling apart right now. You may feel like you are absolutely losing everything. Jesus says, there is joy that awaits us. Eternity in heaven where there is no persecution. Because the faithful, godly men and women of old, the prophets who were treated in the same way, they were persecuted. Jesus says they will be rewarded for their faithfulness. He says, blessed are you if you are like them. We can rejoice because whenever there has been great persecution of God's people, whenever the church is really hard-pressed and persecuted and ridiculed, You will note that in history, it is always followed by tremendous revival. The church has always grown where there has been persecution. Where is the church growing the fastest right now? Where are the the most marvelous stories you can imagine coming from about the gospel? China. Where it is practically illegal to be a Christian. And the church... Is growing like a wildfire because of persecution. The great church father Tertullian said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Do you believe in this joy that Jesus promises for those who are persecuted? Do you believe that Jesus is calling you to do something that he wasn't personally willing to do himself? But he said, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. And consider Hebrews 12, verse 2. We are to look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, He endured the cross. He despised its shame. And he sat down at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Jesus experienced the ultimate form of persecution, did he not? Death on the cross. Why? Why did he do it? For the joy that was set before him. The joy of bringing his father pleasure by completing the greatest rescue mission the world has ever known. He did it for the salvation of the elect, of his people. When you are persecuted, rejoice and be glad, because this is the way of the Savior. And those are the promises that he has given us. These beatitudes, they're not just niceties or good habits for good living they are instructions to us on being a true disciple of Jesus Christ and the last beatitude proves the point here 
because this is not a happy way to end a sermon. Persecution is not the worldly prescription for your happiness. Persecution is the reality of someone who seeks to follow Christ and be his disciple. You know, a dear brother encouraged me this past week. He said, Wilson, I've loved this teaching of Jesus on the Beatitudes. But let's just don't walk away and say, hmm, that's nice. That was a neat sermon. Let's pray that we're changed. Let's pray that we actually follow his teaching here. Let's pray that we could actually rejoice when we are persecuted. May God grant us the grace to be as Jesus has called us to be in his Beatitudes. Let's pray. Father, let us not be the man who looks into the mirror and sees his reflection and then quickly walks away and forgets what he looks like. But Lord, help us to intently look into your word of truth, the word of freedom, the law of freedom and truth, and to see Jesus instructing our hearts, teaching us how to follow him. And so, Lord, grant us the grace by the power of your Holy Spirit, to live, to be, as you have taught us to be. We thank you for the everlasting joy you have promised for those who belong to your kingdom. Thank you. Thank you for the hope of eternal life in heaven where there is and will be no persecution. We praise you and thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.